I love music. It reaches deep into my heart and soul. There's something penetrating about its power and ability to stir and move the heart. And I love music in worship. If music has the ability to do something deep within me, then music that enables me to sing songs of truth about God and sing songs to express my love to God, they are all the more powerful as I worship and give myself to my Heavenly Father, who's the mighty God. I don't often get to do it anymore, but one of the things I've enjoyed most in ministry is leading worship. There's something so beautiful about standing before a congregation of God's people and watching them worship together, exalting the Lord, singing out and at times shouting out their praises to him. There are times in our gatherings where you can see and sense the Holy Spirit so clearly at work among us and the sense of God's glory and presence is so real and tangible. There are times when we together and individually are so moved by God as we worship and it's not unusual for me to find tears appearing as I worship in the presence of both a powerful God, but also a loving God. I miss those times of worship with you. When we decided to do this series on the Psalms, we asked Martin Fraser if he would coordinate a group of people each week to lead us in singing some of the Psalms. I was brought up in this kind of tradition in our church at Parkhead Nazarene. I remember each Sunday we would always start the service by singing a psalm or what we called a paraphrase that was another part of scripture that had been put to music. At the time I'm pretty sure I didn't realise the significance of what we were doing but the older I get the more I become aware of how beautiful it is to sing out these ancient soul songs that the people of God have been singing for generations, for centuries, in fact for millennia. The Christian faith has been shaped by these soul songs. But they've also allowed us to express ourselves to God, to one another and to others. To express ourselves about the realities of life, faith, struggle, success, the realities of God. When we sing them, we are in many ways joying with the ancient praise of God's people, way back into our spiritual heritage and history as the people of God. We join with them in affirming our shared faith, hope and love. Well, the songs we just sang there together are songs based on Psalm 84, a psalm that celebrates and revels in the joy of collective worship, worshipping together in the presence of God, whether in the temple in the Old Testament or as the church birthed in the New Testament. It's a soul song that expresses love and joy for and in the place of worship. It expresses a thirst for God and his presence as the people gather to worship. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in the house, in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But what if all that were taken from you? What if the place and the people that have become so special to you, so central to you in life, Central to who you were. What if all that was taken from you? Or what if you were taken from it? What if we were removed from the place of gathering to worship together? Well, in some ways, that question is no longer hypothetical. It's real. And although I love that we can do all of this online, there's something about being together in worship that has been at the heart of our faith 
from the very beginning. Well, the psalm that we're looking at today was written by a worship leader, or, or maybe even a group of worship leaders, who for some reason have been separated from their place of worship. They were no longer able to be together with God's people, to lead them in worship. Instead, it sounds more like they've been captured and taken from their homeland, locked in and locked down by a common enemy. And the circumstances of that separated, isolated life have thrown them into despair. Sound familiar? Well, some of the most significant soul songs are written out of the most desperate and uncertain circumstances. But yet in them, we find strength to endure. And so let's hear the opening words of Psalm 42 from the sons of Korah, the ancient temple worship leaders, estranged from all they loved and all they lived for. Psalm 42 begins a new second section in the book of Psalms and its title reads, For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah were singers in the temple. They helped to lead worship. There are 11 psalms attributed to them and Psalm 84, which we sung at the beginning, is another of their psalms. And what's interesting about all the psalms they wrote is that they express a great deal of gratitude and thankfulness, humility, a sense of awe before Almighty God. Yet they also express a deep longing for God and a deep devotion to God. They are in every way their soul songs. And we've heard that heart and soul in both Psalm 84, which we sang, and Psalm 42, which Gillian read for us. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? But did you notice the sadness of this soul song? The longing has been heightened by an experience of separation from the temple and from their familiar place of worship and from the people they worshipped with. In the Old Testament, the temple was the centrepiece of their worship. This was where God's glory and presence rested. But this worship leader who longs so much for the presence of God is no longer able to do so. And so he asks himself, where can I go and meet with God? In verse 6, which we'll read in a few moments, it seems that this son of Korah has been taken from Jerusalem and he's either captured in Jordan or has fled to Jordan. And from there he's experiencing this dark night of the soul. To add insult to injury, it seems he's under attack from those around him who seem to constantly mock his longing for God and, by implication, they mock his God. And it is tearing at his heart and soul. He writes, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? Can you hear the pain of his soul song? But as he writes, he begins to remember. He remembers what it used to be like when he gathered with the multitude. My heart is breaking, he writes, as I remember how it used to be, how I walked among the crowds of worshippers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. He's remembering the atmosphere and the joy of the worshippers as he leads them. Well, as I read these words, I had a wonderful picture of uh, wonderful Stephen Dempster standing at the front, hands in the air, dancing unashamedly, crying out, shouting out to God, 
almost urging the people of God to sing louder, passionately worshipping and praising as we sing together. Stephen, we miss you. But the psalm paints that kind of picture, a picture of joyful festival, of carnival procession into the house of God. But all that's been taken from him and he feels lost and defeated. Why so get downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Or as Gillian read, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But he's a worship leader. How will he respond? Will he just wallow in this present darkness? Make himself comfortable with his misery? No. What does he do? He begins to preach to his soul. It's like he knows what he needs, but that he also understands that he needs to do something. Do something to activate this in his own life. And so he speaks to his soul. He instructs his inner being. He calls his heart to life again. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then here's the instruction. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. He's preaching to the soul. He's calling his heart to spiritual life again. Just before lockdown, the church installed defibrillators outside both the Burger Street Church and the New Charter Church. You'll have seen some of these devices all over the place. And they're used when someone is suffering a heart attack and pads that are charged from an electric supply are placed on the person's chest and they send an electric shock straight to the heart to restart it again. It can literally be a lifesaver. Well, in the midst of the dark night of the soul for the sons of Korah, they're performing some spiritual defibrillation. They're activating a spiritual electric shock by announcing the truth to their own self. You know, sometimes we need to preach to our soul, speak it into life again, remind it of truth and of the one in whom we are to place our hope and trust. And three times throughout Psalm 42 and 43, which together really represent one song, this son of Korah comes back to this same place. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then the instruction, put your hope in God. Come on, soul, for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God. You'll find it here in Psalm 42, 5 and then again in verse 11 and again in Psalm 43, 5. How are you feeling this morning? How's your heart? How's your soul? What have you been speaking to them in recent days? What have you been preaching to them? What truth or perhaps untruth have you fed your heart and soul in these days of lockdown? What have you spoken to them about yourself, about life, about God, about the situation? You know, it's all right to acknowledge the struggles of the heart, to admit the dark night of the soul. But we must learn to shock it back into life again by preaching to our inner soul and activating the heart of worship again, just like the sons of Korah did. And so I want us to do that right now in prayer and then in song as we worship God together. So let's awaken our hearts and speak to our soul. Let's pray. As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. 
Lord God Almighty, the one who's given us life and breath, the one who's made us for worship and relationship with you, the one who's loved us with an everlasting love, who's with us even when we're not with one another. Lord God, today we put our hope in you. We choose to praise you with all our being. We enter this moment of worship with boldness and confidence. We sing out the songs of our salvation, the songs of hope and deliverance, the songs of truth and grace. And we will not be shaken. In Christ and by the Holy Spirit, you are with us and within us. We have become the temple and the dwelling place of God. And we awaken our heart and our soul by declaring our trust, our faith, our praise in you, our Heavenly Father, in you, our Lord Jesus Christ, and in you, our present Holy Spirit. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's speak life to our soul and life to our heart as we worship together. Psalm 42 is not only a soul song that expresses the truth inside, it's also a song that's intended to teach and shape those who sing it. It directs them on how to respond when they too encounter their dark night of the soul. In the title of the psalm, it talks of it as a maskal of the songs of Korah. And that word maskal suggests that this psalm is written to offer a point of instruction as well as a place of expression. Now we've already noted one of those instructions, preach to your soul. But I want to draw out just a couple more points of instruction from the verses that Megan read to us. And they really gather around the practice of remembering. We already hinted at that from verse 4. When the writer brings to mind and remembers the times when he was worshipping in the temple. He took himself back to moments of joy and praise and celebration. Moments of deep encounter with God. Now on one hand that may have brought a sense of sadness or loss. But on the other it stirs the heart and soul to truth and hope and faith. But I think the critical part of remembering in this section is that the remembering is not primarily about events or places or rituals necessarily, much as they can help. But rather the call to remember is a call to remember God. Now that might seem like an obvious piece of instruction and advice, but if we were honest, there's a very real tendency for us to slip into forgetting or withdrawing or doubting. We don't mean to do it, it, it can just happen. And here the sons of Korah intentionally interrupt that downward spiral and remind us, wherever we are, remember and remember God. Verse 6. My soul is downcast within me. That's honest expression. Therefore, I will remember you. That's direct instruction. From his place of separation and isolation in the Jordan, away from Jerusalem, surrounded by the strange mountains of Hermon and Mizar, the sons of Korah bring to mind and remember their God. And what do they remember? They remember God's love. Verse 8 sits right in the centre of this song. It's indeed the centre point. Everything flows into it and then back out of it. It is the anchor song. 
It reads like this. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Every morning during lockdown I have the same routine. I get up early, make some coffee, listen to the devotion from Lectio 365 with Carolyn, walk the dog with Carolyn and almost always some more coffee, come home and then we listen to the morning devotions from the church's Facebook page. Well, on Thursday of this week, both devotions really reflected what we're talking about here. They both reminded us to remember God's love and God's love in our lives. In the Lectio 365 devotion, we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when in the face of his imminent death, Jesus prayed this honest, painful prayer to his Heavenly Father. But look how it starts. Abba, Father, that intimate, loving phrase. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Well, here's how the reflection on these verses continues. Jesus didn't want to die. Pete Gregg reminds me, however, that when his soul was overwhelmed, Jesus resolutely anchored himself in the Father's love. His starting point in prayer was, Abba, Father. He didn't say, if you really cared for me, you wouldn't make me go through this. No, the Father's love was non-negotiable. I love that. The Father's love was non-negotiable. And the sons of Korah remembered God and remembered his non-negotiable love for them, whatever their circumstances. Well then, Charlene on Thursday also shared such a beautiful testimony on Psalm 40 about the way in which God and God's love has brought whole-scale change and transformation in her life and the life of her family. What was Charlene doing? She was remembering God and his non-negotiable love. She was entering back into those times, remembering and reliving their truth, returning, anchoring herself in the non-negotiable love of God that she'd seen in her life. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. In the midst of a downcast soul, we're invited to bring to mind our God, his non-negotiable love to go back to those places in our life when we have been unmistakably aware of his presence, his power, his love, and to be encouraged as we remember, to allow a song to rise again within us as we offer a prayer to the God of our lives. In verse 8, there's a phrase that says, At night his song is with me. It could mean that the sons of Korah have simply learned to sing songs of God in the midst of the darkness in life. And that's a great lesson in itself. But I'm intrigued by the fact that they talk about his song, God's song. As if it's God who is singing in the night with us and even to us. There's a wonderful verse of scripture in Zephaniah 3.17 spoken to the people of God in a time when they were also facing a period of personal and national crisis. It says this, The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Perhaps this morning we need to remember and know that not only is the Father's love non-negotiable for you, but that he takes great delight in you. So that even when you struggle to sing his songs, he sings them over you instead.
Or perhaps we can pause to pray and as we are led in prayer by one of our life groups, let's express honestly the concerns and longings of our soul. But let's also remember the love and presence of God who rejoices over us with singing and settles us in his love. Well, as we come to the last section of this soul song from the sons of Korah, we move into Psalm 43, which Edgar read for us. And it's a very honest human prayer, one that expresses the deep cry of our heart and soul. They plead with God to bring their separation and isolation to an end. They plead with God to rescue them. But as they wait for that to happen, and it will, they begin to sing a final prayer, a prayer for God to send his light and his truth to guide them and in time to bring them back to the temple, the dwelling place of God. It's a beautiful prayer. But what does it mean for us? Well, let me read some words from Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We live in a different era to the sons of Korah. It's not that they didn't know or understand the work and ministry of God's spirit. It's just that the focus of their understanding and their worship was located in a single place, the temple. But with the revelation of God in Jesus and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the place and shape of the temple has been radically transformed. The dwelling of God is not to be identified in a singular place, but rather in Christ and by the Holy Spirit, God longs to dwell in our lives. We have become the temple of God. And if God were to write his soul song, it would be a song that longs for you, to meet with you, to love you, to live in you. And so wherever we are, much as we love the place of worship when we're gathered together, wherever we are, we can meet with God and he with us. We are becoming a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. There's a wonderful moment in the most awful of moments as Jesus hangs on the cross. We find it in Matthew 27, 50 and 51. Just as Jesus, the Son of God, breathes his last breath. It reads like this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now the curtain that this verse is referring to is the curtain that separated the people from the part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And that was the part of the temple where God's glory and presence rested. That's where God dwelt with his people. And that's why the sons of Korah couldn't wait to get back there. But in the death of Jesus, that curtain of separation was torn in two. It's removed. In Christ, the separation between God and us is being removed. And instead, we have a picture of the glory and presence of God bursting out from behind the curtain and invading the world streaming into every place and part and person. God's presence, God's spirit, God himself is not contained behind a curtain, but rather he now makes his home in our hearts. Jesus has made the way. 
and the Spirit of God has been poured out for all. The question is, will you invite him to find a place to live and love in you? Now I'm aware that for some people this is very familiar language and you know exactly what this means. But for others perhaps you're not sure what all this means. But you'd like to say yes to the question. You're simultaneously longing to welcome God but not sure how. Well we want to pray in a way that helps you make that invitation today wherever you are. And so perhaps you can simply pray these words yourself as I pray with you and for you. The words will be in the screen and perhaps you can pray this too. Kind Father, thank you for your non-negotiable love for me. Thank you that you have shown us this love in your Son Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that your life has shown us the Father's love. And thank you that your death has broken through the separation between us. Today, Lord Jesus, I put my hope and trust in you and welcome you, my God, to live within me. Come, Holy Spirit of God, even as I pray, and fill my life with your presence and with the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, you know, prayers like this are often the start of something new for people, a new journey of faith, and we want to help you with that, especially if you're new to all this. And so we encourage you to get in touch with us and we can answer questions, give advice and support, and help you to start with a flourish in your life with God and in this newfound faith. So please get in touch. Send a message on Facebook. You can even make a comment now on the live feed if you want. Or just contact us on email. But we'd love to hear from you. Well, thank you for joining us today. As we finish, we're going to sing a song that captures the Psalms that we've looked at today, but also that capture that last passage of Scripture from Ephesians. It's a song that invites us to put our hope in God through Jesus Christ the one who has become our cornerstone as we are being made into God's dwelling place. So let's worship and let's sing our songs of faith and hope. God bless you. <laughs> 